Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, thank you again, uh, worship team, choir, orchestra, just for leading us in just a powerful time of worship together. And it is good to be back after some time away this summer. And I trust you too have had opportunity to rest and to recalibrate and take in some sun at least for a few days this summer before the smoke from BC kind of wrecked it all, invaded our airspace, made things overcast and gloomy. Have you ever noticed that um, we Calgarians notice when, you know, the sky is overcast? The, um, Calgary takes a lot of criticism for, you know, it's cold weather. Uh, but I think we can celebrate the fact that whether it's warm or cold, we have blue sunny skies most days, and that's a real blessing if you think about it, uh, especially not the case uh, for a lot of other areas of Canada, particularly um, in BC. <clears throat> Anyways, well, we continue our study through Psalm 23. And uh, I'm going to invite you to stand with me and join me in reading this wonderful psalm together again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we we thank you for inspiring David to write these words. And we ask, oh God, that you would um, just help us to understand even more fully um, your heart in these words and what you intended for us to hear and also to apply to our lives. Lord, uh, soften our hearts. Help us be open to what you want to say to us and give us the courage to uh, step out and do what you're calling us to do. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So many years ago, when I was just a little guy, uh, my dad went out hunting with a couple of his friends. And they parked our truck in a field. They spent the entire day tracking some game. And toward the end of the day, they actually tracked down some game. They lost track of time. And before they knew it, it was getting dark. They had no idea where they were or where the truck was, and they spent literally the entire night wandering around in the dark looking for the truck. Dad was just a bit embarrassed about it all, Um, but I overheard him tell another friend, uh, you know, after the fact, of course, you know, it was actually quite frightening. Uh, We had no light, we had no map, compass, or uh, landmark. We had absolutely no idea where we were, whether we were actually walking toward the truck or away from it. Well, they eventually found the truck after the sun rose. uh, but, But I share that with you because being hopelessly lost in that kind of a situation or in the wilderness 
without a map, a compass, uh, a point of reference, it's not unlike facing the future without God. You see, whether you live another 50 days or another 50 years, the rest of your life is uncharted territory. Take God out of the picture, and you are moving into your future on your own. You have no point of reference, no guide, no reliable compass or true north, no clue which way leads to hope and safety and which way leads to despair and emptiness, perhaps even destruction. Now, David, the author of Psalm 23, he was forced more than once to flee into the wilderness to escape those who sought to kill him. He knew what it meant to be alone, to be fearful and uncertain of which way to go. And through it all, David found a friend, an eternal friend, who loved him unconditionally and who walked with him faithfully uh, through the best and the worst times of his life. And somewhere along the way, he wrote Psalm 23, which he articulated what his Lord, his shepherd, his friend, meant to him. And David says to us, let me tell you about the Lord, my shepherd, in whom I have everything I need. To those who are experiencing uncertainty today, who are experiencing hardship and turmoil, he says, let me tell you about the all-powerful Lord in whom I trust, who is my rock, who is my fortress, who is my shelter in times of storm. To those who are weary and discouraged today, David says, let me tell you about the Lord, my shepherd, who makes me lie down to rest, who refreshes and restores my soul by leading me beside quiet waters. And to those who aren't sure which way to go, aren't sure what decision to make, he says, let me tell you about the Lord, my shepherd, who wants to guide you along right paths for his name's sake. Now, in the first two parts of this series, Psalm 23, we learned how our great shepherd rests and refreshes and restores us. In this message, we're going to examine how the Lord, our shepherd, wants to lead and guide us along right paths. The reality is life is really a series of choices. Every decision has consequences, but some decisions have huge consequences, not only for us, but also for others. For example, most of us at some point in our lives will face life-altering decisions like, should I marry this person? Should I take this course of studies or this degree program? Should I go into this line of work? Should I quit my job and take this new position that's been offered me? Or should I step out and, and, and serve in this ministry or lead this group of youth even though I'm weary, even though I'm not sure I'm going to have the time and the energy to do it? Now the good news is we don't have to face the future alone. 
We're not left to our own to sort out which way to go. Our all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God wants to be our shepherd. Like a shepherd of actual sheep, he knows where we should go and how to get us there. He isn't behind us yelling, go, go, go. No, he's actually ahead of us on the path which he has prepared for us. And he is saying, come, come, follow me. He's ahead of us. He's leading the way, telling us what we need to know when we need to know it. And so here's the thing. If I know that the Lord, my shepherd, is truth. If I know that the Lord, my shepherd, is righteous. He's the standard of righteousness. If I know he loves me, has a purpose for my life, and that he is for me, if I know that he knows all about my tomorrows today, why would I not prayerfully seek him and seek his guidance for my life on an ongoing basis. Now, as verse 3 indicates, God knows the right path he wants us to take. But he doesn't lay it all out at once. You know, so many people crave a crystal ball to see the future. They sort of want to know, what, what's my life going to look like in two years, in five years? And they will consult channelers and palm readers and all kinds of sorcery and stuff which God clearly forbids because it opens up our lives to the demonic world, the dark, demonic world. But God will not reveal the future to us except in rare situations and for very specific reasons. What he promises us in Psalm 119 105 is a lamp for our feet. He promises a light on our path. Can you remember a time that um, you were walking on a path, um, maybe at a camp or some other uh, remote place, and it was pitch black outside? And all that you had with you as, as a source of light was, was maybe your cell phone. How much light did that cell phone give you? Probably just enough for you to see your next step. Well, that's what God promises. To give us the light we need to take the next step. We don't need to know the future. We only need the assurance that God is with us. The assurance that he will give us the light and the grace and the power and the wisdom we need to take the next step. Psalm 32, verse 8, look what it says. He, the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Doesn't that just comfort your soul knowing that we have a shepherd like that? So God knows the way that we should go and he's willing, he's ready to guide us along the right path. 
The question is, if we want to receive our shepherd's guidance, then, then what is our responsibility? He will do his part. Well, what's our responsibility? What must we do to receive God's guidance in our lives? That's the question we're going to basically address in the time remaining. Well, first of all, if we want to receive our great shepherd's guidance, we need to have a personal relationship with the Lord. David says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, the Lord is my shepherd. He has a relationship with him. John 8, 47 says, He who belongs to God, what? Hears what God says. You have to belong to God, friends. You have to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ to hear him speak through the scriptures and through his whispers. Look at what Romans 8, 14 says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? The children of God. Scripture says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who have put their trust in him. Perhaps you've been reading the Bible and you find it boring. It's not making any sense to you. Perhaps you've been listening to me talk about God speaking to us through the scriptures, through his whispers. You can't relate to that at all. My question is, have you genuinely put your trust in Christ? Are you open, have you opened up your life to him? Are you pursuing him? If there's something inside of you, even right now, that's prompting you or compelling you to put your trust in him, then that is the spirit of God that's whispering to you right now. Don't ignore that prompting. God's been pursuing you all of your life. He's been trying to get your attention. And, and if you're sensing um, uh, something inside of you pulling you to Jesus, then please don't leave here today without talking to me or, or one of the prayer counselors about how you can begin a friendship with Jesus Christ. Most important decision you'll make in this life. So first of all, if we want to receive God's guidance, if we want to hear his voice, I mean... He needs to be our shepherd. We need to trust in him. We need to have a relationship with him. Secondly, if we want to receive guidance from our great shepherd, we need to submit wholeheartedly to his leadership in our lives. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In other words, he's saying, as long as I stay focused on the Lord and entrust my life to the Lord... I have everything I need. Now again, maybe not everything he wants, but everything he needs. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And what he's saying here, he's using our physical vision as a metaphor of spiritual vision. He's saying if your eyes are healthy, in other words, if the focus of your life is to follow Jesus and him alone, then your whole body will be full of light 
you'll know the truth, you're going to receive Christ's guidance and direction in your life. But if your eyes are unhealthy, in other words, if you've got one eye on Christ and you've got another eye on some counterfeit God or idol, like a romantic relationship or a possession or a position that you're putting ahead of Christ, well, then your eyes are going to see double. You're going to have blurry vision. You're going to be confused. You're going to be unsure of where to go. And Jesus says here, if we want God's guidance in our lives, we can't be worshiping two gods at the same time. We have to have a singular focus on our shepherd and submit to his leadership and his direction for our lives. And practically, that means that we're going to need more than a casual friendship with our great shepherd. Our faith is going to have to consist of more than just believing in God, trying to be a good person and keeping the basic rituals and rules, which is a great definition for religion. It's going to have to consist of more than going to church occasionally to worship God, as important as that is, and then living the rest of our week independent of God and worshiping something or someone else. No, if we want his guidance, if we want his care in our lives, we're going to have to stay close to the Lord by interacting with him constantly during the day. Now, you know, for some people, all this talk about listening to God, having a conversation with God through the day, receiving his guidance and his promptings, sounds like, it just sounds so airy-fairy, it sounds so touchy-feeling, they, they just can't go there, and they don't. You know, they're scientific, you know, they got a scientific brain. You know, if I can't touch it, if it's not real, you know, it, I just can't go there. But folks, we live in two dimensions. This, this is one dimension, but there is a spiritual dimension that's every bit as real as this. And when you limit your life to just this dimension, your Christianity is going to be routine, ritualistic, safe, predictable, powerless, and boring. Which is not what God has in mind for us. Just thought I'd throw that in. Other religions have an impersonal deity. They have a set of doctrines to be learned, rituals to be performed, a list of rules to be followed, which is all neat and tidy and religious. But it's not Christianity. Oh, there's some Christians, you know, that make it that. But it's definitely not what Christ had in mind. You know, church, we serve a living God. He's alive. We serve a living God who is irrevocably personal. A God who calls us friend. And wants to be part of our lives on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And so if we want God's guidance, we must want to be led by him by submitting to him and to his leadership 
and cultivating a friendship with him. Thirdly, if we want to receive guidance from our great shepherd, we need to spend quality time in the scriptures. Now, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And in the Greek, there are two terms for word. Logos and rhema. Logos is the word of God to everyone. Rhema is God's personal word to you. The Bible contains God's word or God's general will for all people in all places at all times. Some of you are waiting for God's guidance and you would really appreciate it if he would just write it up in the sky. Nice, simple, clear. But he won't do that particularly if it's already written in the scriptures. And therefore, the more that I read and study the Bible, the better I will be able to understand God's direction and God's will for my life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It essentially means in right living. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it says the Bible's useful to challenge us, to correct us, when, we're, when our thinking and our behavior is contrary to God's will. And it's also useful to teach us how to live a God-pleasing life. And so we can know this. If the Bible says that something is wrong, then we can be sure that God will not guide us or lead us to do what is wrong. In fact, here in Psalm 23, David explicitly points out that our God guides us along the right paths. Not the wrong paths, but the right paths. That means he never tempts us. That means he never guides us to do what is clearly contrary to his written word. And so when a person says something like, well, you know, I've been praying about this and I believe that God is leading me. And they finish the sentence with something that God clearly forbids. You can be sure that that leading is not from God. For example, our good shepherd doesn't lead us to harbor bitterness or anger or an unforgiving spirit towards someone. Our good shepherd doesn't lead us to cheat on our income tax or to lie or to live sexually immoral lives. You see, in these and so many other areas, God has already clearly revealed his logos. He's already clearly revealed his general will to all people in the scriptures. Now, at times, God will give us a rhema or a personal word through the scriptures. Many of you, I'm sure, have experienced what I have many times where you're reading the Bible and suddenly a verse or a phrase just kind of leaps off the page at you. And in that moment, you have this 
very real inward sense that God is speaking to you directly. It may be about a sin in your life. Maybe about someone you need to forgive. It may be a lie that you've been believing and it's been destroying you from the inside out and it's something that you need to renounce. You need to see it as a lie, a lie from the enemy and renounce it. It may be a promise, a promise of God that you need to embrace by faith. Now that's a rhema. That's a rhema word to you personally. And the implication is if we want God to guide us, we need to be in the scripture. We need to be in the scripture daily in our own private, personal time, but we also need to be in the scripture with other Christians, including times like this when the scriptures are being taught and also applied. Again, Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. If you're not reading and meditating on the scriptures, then spiritually, hear me on this, spiritually, you are walking mostly in the dark. Because God's guidance, his logos and his rhema comes primarily through the scriptures. Now, of course, I know that there are times we wish that God would be so much more specific. Like, Lord, please tell me the name, phone number, and address of the person you want me to marry. Please. <laughs> oh, I got some people. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can go for that. But it's highly unlikely, not impossible, but highly unlikely that he'll do that. What he does give us, however, are some pretty clear principles of the kind of person, the qualities of the person he would approve as a suitable spouse. Sometimes we wish God would just flat out tell us whether to take on a different line of work. He likely won't do that either. What he does is give very detailed and clear guidelines about what our motives need to be for making such a change. Now, one of the problems that we all have is that we forget what we read or that what we hear in sermons like this. In fact, studies have shown that we lose over 90% of what we read or hear in about 72 hours. Now, folks, that statistic just depresses pastors like me. <laughs> because basically what it's saying is, is by this Wednesday, you'll have forgotten everything I said. And so, would you just take a few notes, okay? Just, just, just even three lines or something so that by Wednesday, you can get past Wednesday and say, oh yeah, I remember, yeah, there was, this is what. But, you know, but here's the good part. As we read the Bible, as we hear it taught, the Holy Spirit will not only help us understand and apply what we're reading or hearing, he'll also help us to remember what we've read. And look at what John 14, 26 says. Jesus is saying this. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Can you remember a time when 
you're listening to someone just kind of share their heart and, and they're, they're sharing this deep, deep tragedy or problem in their life and you're sitting there going and you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I, I, I don't have a clue what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to respond. I don't know how I'm going to encourage this person. But in your desperation, you whispered a prayer. You said, Lord, would you please give me wisdom? Would you just help me with this? And suddenly, a helpful thought or an appropriate Bible story or example or some verse popped into your mind. That is the Holy Spirit reminding us of God's word and God's will for our lives. But here's the problem. The Holy Spirit can't remind you of something that isn't in your mind to begin with. We have to read the scriptures. We have to hear it taught. Better yet, memorize some of those key passages and watch how the Holy Spirit will use them to build your life and your character. And then fourthly, if we want to receive guidance from our great shepherd, we need to ask with a spirit of expectancy. The psalmist asked the Lord, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. And this verse calls us to have a teachable spirit and to be open to God's direction in our lives. Let's face it, as much as there's a side to us that wants guidance, there's another side that really resists it. A number of years ago, before GPS became popular, uh, Gwen and I were trying to find a certain place in an unfamiliar part of the city that we were visiting. And I was driving. And after a time, Gwen looked at me and said, do you have any idea where we are? And I said, yeah, I think so. Now, ladies, when your husband says, yeah, I think so, and what he's really saying is, I don't have a clue where we are right now. But I'm optimistic. All that will change when we drive over the next hill. But the reality is, is just a way of stalling, having to admit defeat. Well, we drove over the next hill. And then we drove over the next hill after that. And the hill after that. And finally, I did what Gwen had encouraged me to do about 15 minutes earlier. I pulled over, asked someone for directions, who, by the way, was no help at all. <laughs> but all that to say, I have this natural resistance to guidance and direction. And if you're honest, so do you. We love to be in control. Some people, you see, have their plans all laid out for their lives. They like the way things are going. And they don't want God messing with them. They fear that if they get close to God and pursue Him and ask for his guidance and direction for their lives, that he might ask them to do something, or perhaps give something, or perhaps go somewhere, or perhaps stop seeing someone, or perhaps stop doing something that they're not prepared to do or give or let go of. And so they just keep driving along in the life that they want 
rather than the life that God has ordained for them. And they cover their spiritual ears, as it were, and say over and over again, I can't hear you, can't hear you. They're in, they're in, in services like this, and, and they're challenged in some area. Can't hear that, or they find all kinds of excuses to, you know, that doesn't apply to me. You know, that scripture was, was, was communicated out of context. Every excuse in the book. Can't hear you, Lord, because I got my path charted out. Don't mess with it. But friends, we pay a dear price. We miss God's very best for us when we're like this. It's like getting a bad medical diagnosis and pretending we never got it. We pay a dear price when we conclude that God doesn't have our best interest at heart. When we conclude or we hesitate or even outright refuse to seek his face and his guidance in our lives. Church, our God is a good God. If you don't believe that, get back in the scriptures. He's a good God. He loves us. He cares for us more deeply than we can even fully appreciate. Romans 12, 2 says that his will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. He wants to guide us in the right path to be at the center of his perfect will for our lives. But we have to ask expectantly. The Apostle James says you have not because you do not ask God. So come to the Lord daily. Ask him for his guidance. Before you leave your home or first thing when you get up, say, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me today? How do you want to guide me today? Who do you want me to help or encourage today? How do you want me to build into my marriage today? My ears are attuned to you, Lord. See, our great shepherd wants to communicate with us regularly. All through the Old Testament, we see examples of God communicating with people. And he did it in a multitude of ways. He did it through angels, through prophets, visions, dreams, even through donkeys. But we also see many examples of God speaking directly to people. He spoke to Noah about building an ark. He spoke to Abraham about leaving his country and going to a land that he would show him. He's, in Exodus 33, says that he spoke to Moses as one speaks to a friend. 1 Samuel 3, he spoke audibly to young Samuel. In the New Testament era, he spoke to the apostles, other key leaders of the church. In Luke, God the Father spoke audibly to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, informing them that Jesus was his son in whom he was well pleased. And then in John 15, just shortly before he was arrested, Jesus met with his disciples. And he says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. You think about that. 
Jesus called them, even as he calls us who know and love him, friends. And I don't know about you, but friends in my books communicate to each other. They speak to each other. They listen to each other. As our friend, we can surely count on Jesus communicating with us through his spirit when we ask expectantly. You see, church, this is the kind of friendship that Jesus wants to have with us. As I said a moment ago, this is what separates the Christian faith from every other religion. Our God is a personal God who calls us friend. And then fifthly and finally, if we want to receive guidance from our great shepherd, we need to do what he calls us to do. Don't ask God for guidance unless you're prepared to act on it. Some time ago, I, I read a humorous little story which reminds me of the way that we sometimes approach God. It's a story of a duck. A duck comes into a store, he waddles up to the counter, and he asks the clerk, if he has any grapes. And the clerk says no. And the duck waddles back out of the store. Five minutes later, the duck waddles back into the store, asks the same question, got any grapes? And again, the clerk says nope. And the duck waddles back out of the store. Five minutes later, the duck comes in again, asks the same question. Well, by now, the clerk is just a mite upset, so he grabs the duck by the neck. And he says, listen, duck, I don't have any grapes, okay? If you come in here one more time asking for grapes, I'm going to nail your webbed feet to the floor. Do you understand? The duck swallows hard, straightens out his bow tie, and says, he says, whatever you say, doc, and waddles back out of the store. Five minutes later, that duck waddles back into the store and he asks the clerk, do you have any nails? <laughs> and the clerk says, no, I don't. Okay, then, says the duck with just a little smirk. How about some grapes? <laughs> you know, that's how some of us approach God. We come to him asking for something over and over again, but we don't listen to his answer. We don't even want to hear his answer because we don't like the answer and our minds are already made up. We've got our pathway all sorted out. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says you know while he was here on earth Jesus chose not to exercise his divine power or his privileges but instead to live in humble dependence on his heavenly father everything he taught the miracles he performed his acts of service was done in obedience to his heavenly father in Hebrews 10 7 Jesus said I have come to do your will my God. And consequently, Jesus heard his father's voice clearly 
and perfectly. And because pleasing his father was his highest goal, he could endure his friends betraying him. He could endure his people rejecting him and calling for his execution without any bitterness of heart. He loved his friends and his people, but his first priority was doing the will of his heavenly father, and therein was his peace, joy, and satisfaction. Success in Jesus' ministry wasn't determined by the size of the crowd that followed him. It wasn't determined by how many of his followers were faithful. It wasn't about living the good life or a life of ease. Success for Jesus was being faithful to his heavenly Father. Now here's the thing. No one can keep us from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. No gossip, no slander, no betrayal, no tragedy, not even the devil himself can steal it. The only one who can walk away from God's calling, God's guidance in my life, and his very best for me is me. And the same is true for you. Which leads me to ask, have you settled the issue once and for all of who you're going to please in your relatively short earthly life? Is the governing goal of your life the same as Jesus' goal to please your heavenly Father and to follow where he leads? Friend, God will never guide you or show you his will for you if you are only partially committed to living it out. The more you disregard or refuse to carry out the assignments that God gives you, the less you're going to hear from him. Let me explain it to you this way. If you ask me to help you in some way, you say you're heading up a ministry and you need help and you come to me and you, you cast some vision and you encourage me to join you in ministering to these kids or these youth or whatever the case is. And I said, you know, man, I'd really like to do that, but, you know, I've got this and this, and I, I, just, I just don't have the time. I can't. And then three months later, you approached me again. Because you kind of heard me say something like, maybe in three months. And again, I came up with some kind of reason why I couldn't. And then three months later, you approached me again, and I kind of gave some other reason. And, and, and on and on. You approached me again. You approached me again. You approached me again. And each time, I've got something why I can't. Well, you know as well as I do, you're going to stop approaching me. When you've got something to do, that needs to get done, you're going to go to people that are open and prepared to help. Well, in the same way, the more we ignore God's call in our lives, the more that we come up with excuses for carrying out the assignments 
the opportunities that God gives to us, the less we're going to hear from him. And we're going to miss some incredible adventures as a result. You know, if you examine the men and women of of, of God in both biblical times and also modern times, who changed history, you're going to discover that most of them were not specially gifted people. They didn't have all their act together. They didn't have great degrees and, and all the rest of it. They just had one thing in common, and that is they knew the Lord, their shepherd, and they faithfully did what God called them to do. And God did a work in and through them that shaped the course of history. Henry Blackaby tells the story of George Mueller, who heard God calling him to start an orphanage. And also, that calling came with kind of an interesting twist. And that is he was never supposed to make any of his needs known. During his lifetime, he did just that, caring for over 10,000 orphans without ever asking anyone for anything, including money. And so after securing a location, when he first got started, he realized the night before the first set of orphans were to arrive, that he had taken care of every detail except food to feed the orphans and furniture for them to eat on and sleep on. My wife Gwen says, this is what happens when you don't involve a woman in your planning. (laughs) Anyhow, he was distraught when he realized it, and so he did the only thing that he could do, and that is he talked to God about the need. As he prayerfully read God's word, God spoke to him, from Psalm 81, verse 10, God gave him a rhema, a personal word from that psalm. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Mueller believed God was saying to him, ask for whatever you need, and I will provide it for you. And so, that's what he did. He got on his knees, he prayed, asking God for all that he needed. And the next day, miraculously, Dozens of carriages arrived with everything that Mueller had asked for. You know, friends, I believe to the core of my being that the same God, the same great shepherd who spoke and guided David, who spoke and guided uh, the people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same God who spoke to people down through history like John Wesley and George Mueller and others, this same God wants to guide us and lead us and speak to us today. The question is, are we listening? Are we asking with expectation for him to guide us, to direct us, to speak to us? He wants to speak into the issues, the questions, the decisions that you're facing. But he also wants to use you to make a difference somewhere in his kingdom. He wants to do your day with you. He wants to guide you and lead you into the greatest adventures possible. You know, without going into any details right now, we're praying as a staff that not just a few dozen, but that hundreds, hundreds of people who are part of our church will hear and respond to the call of God and step out in obedience and serve where he guides them in one of hundreds 
of different opportunities and needs that need to be addressed in order for us to carry out the mission God has called us to as a church. Last Sunday evening at our night of worship, which is such a great blessing, by the way, we saw people come to Christ, nine or ten people baptized. Amazing. And I was talking about worship and you know, if you've ever been to a night of worship, it's a pretty live worship experience. And a bunch of youth and young adults and young at heart just raising their hands and jumping and, and just giving praise to God. And so here I am, I'm talking about worship and, and God lays a passage on my heart from 1 Samuel 15 where God says to obey is better than sacrifice and I said to the group there that e evening I said in today's vernacular what he is saying is that your praise and worship on Sunday is hollow it is meaningless to me if you worship other gods and carry on with your self-centered agenda on Monday and repeatedly ignore explain away my call to serve and to invest in the lives of others He's reminding us, friends, that true worship isn't limited to a worship service like this, as important as this is, and I sure don't want to minimize that. But it is reflecting His Spirit and His character all week long. It's responding to His call to love and serve and invest in the lives of our children, our youth, and others every day in Jesus name you know friends we're, we're a spiritual family and a family you think about when your family meets when it's time to clean up when it's time to do something everyone pitches in it's what a family does everyone does their part in response to God's leading in their lives where is God calling you to make a difference and advance in the mission that he's called you to. You know, church, God is trying to get all of our attention. And I challenge each and every one of you to respond to God's guidance and leadings in, in our lives because nothing will enrich our walk with Christ more. Nothing will advance the kingdom of God more than all of us loving our great shepherd and just living all out for him. May this coming year that is my prayer. Be an adventure like we've never had before. Man, I wish that for every one of you. May it be an adventure because we had the courage to ask God to guide us in response and in response to his leading, we gave our lives away in love for others in whatever way he called us to to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand with me for closing prayer? Let's open our hands to the Lord.
And let's just ask him those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And even more importantly, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do about it? What is one step you want me to take in responding to your call? so once again, Lord, we want to thank you for inspiring David to write these words and reminding us that you want to guide us in paths of righteousness. I pray, Lord, for anyone here that in all honesty can't say that you are their shepherd. Lord, if if I just pray for them, Lord, and that they will reach out to you and commit their lives to you. Lord, I pray for others here, Lord, who, you know, they got their pathway all marked out and, and they don't want you messing with it. I pray, Lord, they would come to that point of surrender and submission and recognize that, that they are never going to be truly fulfilled. They're never going to know the satisfaction that you intended the joy, the peace, if they just keep marching their own way, even though maybe right now it just seems real sweet. I pray, Lord, that we would be in the Word and seeking your direction through the Word, and that we, our ears would be attuned to you, Lord, each and every moment of our lives that we would pursue you in a close walk and friendship with you. And then, Lord, as you give us an assignment, as you call out to us and challenge us, Lord, in some way that we won't rationalize it away, we won't explain it away or excuse it away, Lord, we will step out and carry out the assignment that you're giving us, believing to the core of our being that it's going to be an adventure that will radically change our relationship with you in a very good way. We pray these things in your precious name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.